0: how would you define success if i was to say when you think of someone that is successful what does that look like in your field or in your in your picture of what life should look like what does success really look like here's another way to frame that question what makes someone successful what makes someone successful another question for you to ponder is what about wisdom? What makes someone wise? Do you know someone in your life where you're like, "Hey, if I need someone, they're a go-to person for like questions. They're like a thesaurus of ideas and dictionary and encyclopedia all together into one like human form. Who do you go to when you're seeking wisdom? Last question to ponder. How do you get more wisdom? How do you get wiser? How do you get smarter? We're in a book of Proverbs. We're in a series going through Proverbs, and as Sam invited me to speak um, on a certain week, um, it, it, it just so worked out that at the same time I just felt an inspiration to like I think I think God wants me to teach on this portion of Proverbs in chapter thirty and. I, shared it with Sam, and Sam's like, this is, this is cool, yes, let's go, let's do it, you know? And so, we are, uh, we're going to talk about wisdom. It's going to be kind of like a nature lesson, um, because that's kind of where the book of Proverbs, kind of, we find ourselves. Here's the thing about success and wisdom and getting more wisdom. Thankfully, the value in God's kingdom is not the same value system that the world has when it comes to success. Um, we're going we're gonna to take a look at some smaller, less than spectacular creatures and how God makes them very successful. And we can draw wisdom from that. Uh, it's in Proverbs 30. And here's what, here's what Proverbs does a lot of. For those of you that are like, okay, Proverbs, that's like one that you read one a day, right? People do that, and that's their devotion times. Like, yeah, it's a really great, it's got 31 chapters, you can read one a day. It's, it's a wonderful thing. But when you examine these wisdom scriptures, uh, it's interesting. They, the, the writer, Solomon, likes to use contrasts, likes to take two things and compare them together. Um, earlier in in the chapter thirty, he he uses in, in verse twenty two. He, he kind of says a slave when he becomes a king. Like who ever heard of a slave becoming a king, except in a Disney movie or something. A fool when he is filled with food, an unloved woman when she finds a husband, and a maidservant when she displaces her mistress. In the book of uh, Samuel, you find Samuel talking to Saul. Now, the world defines success as bigger, better, and more beautiful. Would you agree? Just look at your Instagram posts. And Samuel's talking to Saul, king, and he says to him, When you were small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? When you were small in your own eyes, did you not become king? God chose you to be king of Israel because of that character. Because of that, let's use the word humility. When you look in the mirror, how big or how small are you? I don't know. But I like to use those moments to kind of pump myself up in the morning. My wife likes to giggle, you know, but I talk to myself in the morning. I talk to myself, you know, and it's, uh, again, my wife, my wife thinks it's funny, but it's like, I get stoked. I'm a, like, high-emotion guy, and so I, like, I get fired up for the day, and I look in the mirror and do it, and it's kind of silly. <laughs> Scripture, uh, Proverbs 30, starting with verse 24. Let's, let's read it together. Four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants Are a people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. The rock badgers are a people not mighty, yet they make their homes in the cliffs. The locusts have no king, yet all of them march in rank. The lizard you can take in your hands, yet it is found in the king's palace. Have you ever heard of uh, someone having a big head? like the big head of success. Have you heard of this? It's a thing. Like, it's literally a thing. It's not just a a phrase. It's real. Most successful people have literally a large noggin. Now, I'm not talking about egos or swelled-up pride. Extra large noggins on their shoulders. That's what I'm talking about. Studies have shown that business leaders, politicians, celebrities have at least slightly larger than average heads on their shoulders. Tall and and big seem to be seen as better, don't they? Most company presidents are over six feet tall. Most models are taller than average too. Most sports teams are looking for size and strength. This value of being bigger and better and more beautiful, it even leaks into the church. I spent about 12, 14, 13 years as a youth pastor. And there was this thing in, in early 2000s, like if you could just get the quarterback of the football team and the captain of the cheerleading squad to come to your youth group, the whole school will be one for Jesus. Like it was taught at conferences. How dumb is that? Like it was an idea and it was good, well-meaning, but it was really judging people by size and success and beauty and not looking at their heart. You know, Scripture says God looks at the heart. The world looks at those other things. So it can leak into the church even. So let's take a look at these small creatures and what we can glean from them in a little like Discovery Channel lesson today. Number one, wise people invest a lot of energy in preparation. And they make decisions with the future in mind. Decisions today about tomorrow's future. The Bible puts a high value on preparation. Luke 12:35 calls us to be dressed and ready for service. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2:21 tells us be prepared to do any good work. Be prepared. First Peter there's a couple times Peter mentions he challenges us to prepare your minds for action. Be ready. And then in 3.15, 1 Peter 3.15, he says, always be prepared to share your faith, to share Jesus with others. Think about Bible characters who had to prepare. Moses, how many years did he have to prepare before he led Israel out? Like 80 years. Joshua, 40 years of preparation before he uh, takes Moses' place as leader. Even Jesus Christ himself had to prepare 30 years before he started his his full time ministry on earth. Jesus had to prepare 30 years. Uh, a, A really famous preacher, his name is Charles Spurgeon, he said, If I knew I had 25 years left to live, I would spend 20 of them in preparation. And then the last five, I would go crazy for Jesus. But I would prepare. So there's something powerful in preparation. Let me say this, uh, young people, your teens and your 20s is a time of preparation. And here's the other side of that. Life is full of seasons. The decisions you make today are gonna impact you tomorrow, your future, what you're doing now. What you're doing now, will it positively impact your next 20 years. I was at a site visit up in um, Washougal, yes, this Friday, and I was at a farm, five-acre farm, beautiful house, and they're putting a, a, a horse barn on the on the property, you know, and I'm kind of dialing it out, shooting laser shots to figure out excavation needs and all this, and, and the guy's like, yeah, so we'll, we'll make sure that the horse run is not, you know, is next to the orchard, you know, and I'm looking out and I'm like, what orchard? And he goes, well, walk down. So you walk down a ways, and there's these little bitty t- trees planted. And he's like, this is going to be the apple orchard that my grandchildren enjoy. You know, and I didn't see those little trees planted and, and the little things around them protecting them. And, and it's like he's planting trees that he will never enjoy the fruit of. But how cool is that, to have that future in mind? Let's talk about the ants those ants that Proverbs 30 uh, described. There's an ant in the Middle East that Solomon was probably talking about called the harvester ant. The harvester ant, there's a picture of it here. They separate their colony into groups. And when they harvest, one group climbs up the stalk of a grain and chews it as it falls to the ground. The next carries this fallen kernel back to the colony. A third group shucks like shucks the grain. That'd probably be the worst job of all four. I'd be like, oh man, I gotta be a shucker again. They shuck the grain, people. And then the fourth group carries the kernels underground and they stack it in their storehouse. Here's the cool part. When floods come and washes out the colony, all hands on deck, all four groups of ants come into the storehouse after the flood and they gather up the grain and they take it out side on top of the ground and lay it out in the sun to dry. And then they restack it. They do this in the summer so they have food for the winter. Wise people, number two, wise people know and they stay close to their source of protection. They stay close to their source of protection. The rock badger or coney is also called, they're smart and successful because they know the principle of protection. They live in the cracks and the crags of rocks in the Middle East where predators can't get them. Do you see the wisdom of these creatures? They know their limits. They stick close to home and they never venture too far away without someone watching their back. Literally, Scripture reminds us this, that God is our rock. Psalm 62, the devil is the predator seeking to devour us. 1 Peter 5.8. So many people think they can live just a few yards away from protection. Just a little further, we venture away from our source of power and strength. Maybe a few extra yards away from our accountability partners, a few more yards away from our church and we think we're safe. And when we're in trouble, they cry out to God. We cry out to God. And we don't find maybe the safety and security we need because we're not in the habit of running to Him every day, amen? We're not in the habit of running to Him every day. We take a hold of the wheel. I I was on my honeymoon I was married maybe six or seven days, and we were just returning to Virginia, Alexandria, Virginia, and all summer, I, I got married when I was in college, and I played college basketball, and I was, I was playing in a summer league at Georgetown University where the likes of, of Maryland and Georgetown and, and all the Big East schools and schools from the south, guys that were there in the summer, we would play in the league, and the, 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 the one person that everyone came to see every Sunday evening, his name was Allen Iverson. Allen Iverson was just um, finishing school and he announced his, uh, he's going to the draft. He's going to the NBA, but he was not yet there. And so he was playing in this league. And so I got to watch and, and, and try to guard him. No one guarded Allen, he was too good, too quick. But our team, of the 12 teams in the summer, we were one of the top four. We were actually the fourth seed in the end of the year, end of the summer. And so we made the end of the year tournament. And so what that meant was local TV was going to put us on local TV, and we were going to play. The fourth seed plays what seed? Guess whose team was number one? Alan Iverson. The answer himself. And so I remember that game. And I was excited. I mean, we planned our honeymoon to get back Saturday so that we, I could be ready Sunday for that game. That was like a big deal. I'm married seven days. My wife wakes up Sunday morning and says, Jason, I don't think you should go and play the game tonight. I just don't have a good feeling. And I noticed, now she hasn't done this very often, like ever. And now we're married seven days. And I'm like, It begins. Like seriously, it's seven days, and now you're like trying to tell me to quit playing basketball. It's my favorite thing in the world, besides you, honey. And I'm like, I explain, like, honey, you know, like I, I spent all summer working hard. Our team made it. It's on. It's like I don't, I'm, I can't miss this. I could guard Allen Iverson. Like, how cool would that be? I might be able to like score on Allen. You know, I'm just like going on. She's like, okay, okay, I hear you, but I don't think you should play. And I'm like, baby. I hear you, but I'm playing. (laughs) After church, which was her father's church, and Pastor Paul, Paul, he's my dad, right? We dropped the in-law, he's a great man. After church, we come home for, for some lunch. Her mom comes up to me. Hey, Jason, I just got this weird feeling that you shouldn't play tonight at the Georgetown League. And I'm thinking, Angela, you got your mom on, in on this? Like, how dirty is that? And so I convinced Carol that she's not hearing from the Lord and <laughs> that I was correct and that I was going to be protected. And I even said, let's pray for my protection. She goes, I'll pray for you, but I don't think you're supposed to go. And they've never done this before. So this is uncharacteristic. And so they pray for me, and I'm like, let's go. Evangela gets, you know, we get in the car, we go. It's kind of a family deal because it's kind of a fun thing we get to do. And, and so our game's going on. First half goes on good. I, I made some buckets. I didn't really get to guard Allen, but uh, I did well. And I was excited because I was, like, in the game and doing well. Halftime happens. I remember looking at halftime. I look up at, you know, my wife, and I'm like, I'm good. <laughs> You know, second half starts. And I remember it like yesterday. I'm at the top of the key and a shot goes up and I'm getting ready to get back on defense. My job was to try to cut off the first pass so they wouldn't start a fast break. And so I'm in my position and the ball starts bouncing out towards the corner and no one's on that side of the court. And I I was a hustle guy, right? I wasn't, gonna dunk on you, I wasn't gonna be faster than you, but I was gonna out-hustle you if I could. And I go diving for this ball, and one of the guys on his team, it was Jerome Williams. Jerome Williams played about eight, 10 years in the NBA. His nickname was Junkyard Dog. He was 6'9", 4% body fat, and just a Hulk. His arms were bigger than his skinny legs, it was weird, but he was just huge. Well, I took Junkyard Dog on and I lost. You see, I dove for the ball. I played football in high school and I kind of dove like it was a fumble. And so I kind of like dove into him so I could grab the ball. And I'm on the floor grabbing the ball. My momentum's carrying me as Junkyard Dog falls on my head and my two front teeth go into the hardwood floor and they snapped. Snapped off. It would have been better if they just would have pulled out. But no, they decided to snap halfway up my mouth. And so now I have the ball. I have no idea that this happened. All I know is my face, I can't feel it. And I call timeout to the ref. And the ref sees me, goes to call timeout, and looks back at me, and his whistle just drops from his mouth. And I'm thinking, that's weird. Blood was coming down. They stopped the game. They waved my wife down. My wife says, at the moment it happened, She's like, I knew it. (laughs) And that is not what you want to hear as a new husband. I told you, you know. And so she lovingly didn't say that um, to me. But I'm just thinking, and the whole time I'm not thinking about what she said or what her mom said. I'm just thinking, can I still play? Like, bandage my whole head and give me one eye. I'm not coming out. And they're like, you got to go to the hospital. Like, this isn't good. I had lacerations on my face, and it was just not good. So I go to the hospital. We lose the game by how many points? Three. You know what my specialty was? Three-point shooter. I'm like, why, God? So after we get back from the hospital, and my double root canal was scheduled for the next morning, I remember putting my head to the pillow, and Angela, do you remember that conversation? And she said, God, put me in your life to protect you. But you got to be the one to listen. Oh, that was a great lesson. <laughs> Sometimes you got to learn the hard way. Number three, wise people are into team participation. They know the importance of community, especially when times get tough. Wise people are into participation. Scripture, in Proverbs 27, in verse chapter 30, the locusts now. Small people do big things by working together. That's the lesson of the, the locust. Here's kind of an interesting thing. The Bible calls believers to swarm, to advance together and rank like an army. Uh, there's a sense of buzz in any Christian community when this is happening, and it's usually preceded by prayer. It's usually preceded by just God's presence and seeking his presence. If you're new here today, we don't always just stop in the middle of worship and pray for people. That is a response to God's presence. That's what that was. That somebody sensed God's presence in more than one person because we had, we had kind of a spoken word here today of like God speaking to us through another person. And that stuff happens because God is with us. Now we have to be careful about getting really slack on our commitment to each other. Like COVID really did a a number on churches and their uh, willingness and ability to to like stay together and be the church and and be in communion with each other. Now, there's basically two kinds of insects. There are loners and there's colonists. The loners are like spiders, which you rarely see more than one. I'm grateful. Thank you, me too. (laughs) The colonists are like bees And ants, they're always in groups, okay? But locusts are both. You see, in times of plenty, when there's plenty of food sources around, locusts can be found individually, just a few or one. But when there's a famine, they know the power of swarming together. Locusts get very active. When that happens, they become a force of nature as powerful as a volcano or a hurricane. They cannot be stopped. The largest swarm of locusts on record swept Africa in the early 1900s. Listen to this. It was one mile wide, 100 feet thick, 50 miles long. Let me say that again, just to wrap your mind around this. A mile wide, 100 feet thick, 50 miles long. Experts estimated it had 10 billion Insects in it, which means if you could kill one million a minute, if you could kill a million a minute, it would take you all week to get them all. Yikes. Um, the swarm ate everything in sight, landing on trees with such mass, they broke off limbs just by their weight. But another force of nature ended the locust swarm. It was heavy, severe winds from a storm swept them out to sea. But even then, it's said that they flew for 60 straight hours before dropping exhausted onto the water. Crazy, huh? Okay, number four. Wise people, we are bold and we are persistent when we're like the lizard here in Proverbs 30. Lizards can be captured easily by hand, yet somehow they get past the guards to the king's palace. I want to ask you this. What are your spiritual goals? Do you have goals? Uh, You might have financial goals. You might have educational goals. You might have career, job goals. What are your spiritual goals today? Have you ever thought about it that way? What do you want to grow in? How do you want to grow spiritually? Like, who do you want to be like spiritually in like five years? And I think it begins by persistently pursuing God. God figuring out how to grow and getting around others who are further down the road or further up the mountain than you are and trying to become wise and become spiritually mature. God wants us to pursue him and pursue spiritual goals. I shared it earlier, Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with how much of your strength? How much of your heart? You gotta do it with all. All. Romans 2.7, Apostle Paul says, To those who by persistence in doing good work, in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. For those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. Galatians 6.9, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So many people quit right before the going gets good. But all they can see is the struggle. Hebrews 10.36, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Persevere. Turn to someone and say, persevere. You got to persevere. Life's not always going to be easy. The gecko The gecko is a harmless little five inch, four inch creature. It's a lizard. It lives in warm climates like the Middle East. They're easily caught, but they're built for climbing into places that you don't want them. You see, their feet have a few significant, interesting mechanisms. They have these claws, which, unlike a cat's, are always extended. Okay, and they have little adhesive pads in the middle of their palms that actually stay like wet. They stay moist, and so it's easy for them to suction cup and, and, and climb. And they have scales on their body that are rough so they can stick to surfaces easily and not slide down. Catch them, throw them out as often as you want. They're gonna come back for more if they wanna get in. Now, the ants are wise because they prepare. They make decisions with the future in mind. The rock badgers are wise because they stay close to their source of strength. The locusts are wise because they understand the importance of community and participating as one. And the lizards, well, they're wise because they're bold and they're persistent. So, What do we learn from that today? I think there's a flip side from these four wisdoms. Um, and there's a flip side that we all we all understand. We've all spent time. I've spent time over here. Put up the, the four. Um, preparation, what's the opposite? Yeah, procrastination. If you just got elbowed by a, a wife or loved one, I'm sorry. <laughs> Protection. Opposite is overconfidence. Young people, so confident. Jason, so confident nothing was going to happen in that game. Participation, the opposite of that to me today is selfishness. I just don't want to play with others. I don't want to think of others more than me. I don't want to take my time and use it to help others. And then persistence, the opposite today in my mind is laziness. It's just... Reject passivity. Don't be passive. Don't let things happen. But be a person of courage and and take action. The world values size, strength, beauty, and charisma. But here's what God values. Humility, character, and a heart that is willing to pursue him relentlessly. A passion, let's call it. For God, a passion for God. So, which is the most critical area for you here today? What area do you need strength for? What area do you need, as Mark would say, a breakthrough today? What's the most critical area? And my next question is what are you gonna do about it? What are you gonna do? Let's be men and women of action you be willing to take that next step, whatever that step looks like to you. And if you're serious, if you're serious about this and you want to grow spiritually, then I encourage you to get with someone and pray today. Get with someone and talk. Share your heart about what you want to overcome or what you want breakthrough from today. And I, I promise you, You will be prayed for, you will be prayed over, and we will ask God to give you that strength and courage and that breakthrough. And we're willing to walk with you through it. Imagine taking your next step into a beautiful tomorrow, stronger, closer to God. Imagine overcoming your bad or your hurtful habit and finding freedom in Jesus. And imagine closing your eyes at night and having this pure and complete peace because you know, you know your heart is good and with God. I want that for you. I don't want the anxiety that the world brings. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there are are small things that are mighty, and wise in your eyes, God. Thanks for not looking at our imperfections, but thank you for looking at us through the lens of your Son Jesus. That that what we have done, the things that we do that hurt ourselves and others, the distance that we seem to stay away from from you, God, and our protection. Lord, call us back. Lord, help us to repent which literally means turn 180 and, and, and lean back and go walk back to the source of protection, which is you, God. So I ask today that, that for me and for my friends and my family here, God, that they would sense your spirit calling them, calling us, calling me to repent and turn to you and, and seek your presence with a, with a, with a passion that's greater than than yesterday, that's greater than when we woke up this morning, that your presence is so powerful for us that we need, we need you. I pray, God, for my friends who need uh, to to overcome a habit or to overcome uh, pain or to overcome unforgiveness and bitterness in their heart, God, that you would bring them your spirit of peace, your spirit of forgiveness spirit of freedom to break the chains. I just pray, Jesus, that we would learn how to walk with you and not try to earn your love because you, would, you, you have already given us the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate act of love. So, Lord, help us just to embrace that and embrace you. It's called amazing grace for a reason. Amen. Amen.